podcast ain't played nobody. Um, it's off season, and that's fine with us. Bill's got a book out. That's great. We're going to promote that book. Bill has offered a incentive tier structure for those of you who ordered and backed the book for personalized message messages message yes. single message. Um, some of which have been matriculating online. Uh, one of which I'm going to read now to start this show. <laughs> Gee, I wonder which one it's going to be. Uh, friend of the program, Steve Cavendish, editor in chief of the Nashville Scene. Uh, Steve, sometimes I just want to punch Godfrey when he says he doesn't care about Ole Miss. Followed by a signature I can only describe as someone learning the alphabet and then having a seizure. That is a great signature because I can do that. It, it will look the exact same almost every time. That's all that matters with the signature. As if you died halfway? B loop loop, C loop loop Y. B loop loop, a shot at a poker table, falls over his pen. I, my wife makes fun of the signature too, and I do not care. Let's, like uh, let, let's devote some time to a couple things here. Uh, one, your book, because um, while you are one of the first and foremost uh, experts of college football living today, uh, you lack for promotion, which is I love where that. someone like me comes in. Second, I don't care about all this. <laughs> now, I thought, we were, I thought we were clear about this. I have yeah, one I rule just... with the alma mater. Now, this is what I say privately, those of you listening. This is what I say privately at work. I have one rule with my alma mater. Don't embarrass me. That's it. Can I take you to a social function and you don't embarrass me? Okay? So if you've listened to the podcast long enough, we try and keep the personal to an absolute minimum and devote purely to the minutia of college football. By the way, this is podcast ain't played nobody. <laughs> Um, a college football marriage of numbers and words. I'm going to interrupt this story just to do the read because do you know how many what, – what do you think my batting average is on the read right now? By the way, the read is like the show intro that we do. We're supposed to start doing these things as we continue to professionalize this out. I bet I don't do the read a third of the time, right? Uh, well, I mean, yeah. Well, if if we're talking about it like within the first 10 minutes, then the batting average is quite low. But it's eventually – really bad. It's, it's sub-Mendoza. Yeah, uh, he's the robot like Bill Connolly, invented the S&P Plus analytics system. He's the proprietor of SB Nation's football study hall, and he's the author of the forthcoming book. It's not really forthcoming anymore. You should be getting yours in the mail. 50 best college football teams of all time. My name is Stephen Godfrey, and here's my biography so that I might dispute this personal message written to a friend and colleague of mine. I'm not from Mississippi. I did live there for 10 years. This puts me in an incredibly unique place because how many people have you met in your life who are not from a place like Mississippi, and what I mean by that is rural, uh, small population, not a lot of business that draws people in and out. So I'm not from there, but I lived there for 10 years. That's pretty unique, right? Well, yeah. My rule with Ole Miss is this. I don't want you to embarrass me. Strangely enough, and by the way, I don't mean um, embarrass. Okay, let, let's define embarrass real quick, Bill. Uh, as a Mizzou fan, um, uh, racial tension, embarrassing, yes? Well, certainly, one side of it anyway, yeah. yeah definitely. Um, bad football game, not embarrassing, right? No, not really. Yeah, yeah, I want to draw that line very clear. The so, only game that I've been semi-embarrassed about in the last two years was the win against UConn a couple of years ago. Otherwise, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, if the Rebels are playing football, uh, lately I'm probably not watching them, working and doing something strange. Um, 
I don't care how that happens. So uh, the Arkansas game, when you named that the, two seasons ago, you did your top 100 college football games of the season. And I, I, I was pushing you to, to use Ole Miss Arkansas as the number one game of the year. It had the ending, which was amazing, right, the play. It had ramifications that I don't think people realize to this day because Ole Miss had beaten, an Al- beaten Alabama this year, the team that, that year, the team that went on to win the national title, how that would have affected a division race, a conference race, and the playoff. It was massive, right? I don't care about that. So say if, like, Ole Miss blows, oh, I don't know, a 23-point lead? Ish, yeah. So ah! ah! In, like, the fourth quarter of a substantial game? <clears throat> that doesn't bother me. But what does bother me about Ole Miss are the various embarrassments. Um, usually mascot race, stupid uh, state representative with a tie to the universe, that, that type of flavor. And really, for my money, if you're going to get embarrassed by a large football-playing school in the Power Five, I mean, Ole Miss is going to – they're going to provide for you. You're going to get a lot of turnout in that category, okay? Now, because of this, I, I sit some, sometimes diametric against the, the young alumni of my ilk from the University of Mississippi. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. There's a pretty decent quotient of alumni from Ole Miss in this town, right? Um, along with places like Auburn and Bama, et cetera, Tennessee, Florida. Again, I don't have to qualify that I'm a fan or not a fan. I do this for a living. I see the sausage, Bill, okay? I see the college football sausage being ground up in the back rooms, all right? I know it's in there, and there's some hair and teeth, okay? There's some hair and teeth, occasionally a shoe, all right? So, to this point, I want you now to tell me, what about this statement bothers you? Uh, nothing. I write whatever I'm told to write. I had to write Rock Chalk Jayhawk, and I did it, and it felt it, it, I felt sick, and I put an asterisk by it. Wait, 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 wait. Wait. Is this, is this a, are we having a plot twist here? Finished Westworld this weekend. It was fantastic. Um, that, that, was not, that, was the, that was the rules all along. I wrote it. Wait, wait, wait. wait. This is Cavendish saying this? Yeah. He wanted me to write that. So oh. I, I just poke you with the old Miss thing. I don't actually feel sick about it or, or want to. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Like so this, the, so it. you, so the whole point of this, the, the people who backed you on, um, <laughs> What you use, Patreon or GoFundMe? Kickstarter. Kickstarter, okay. So, so the Kickstarter people, you get, you have to write whatever. So you had to write, for instance, Rock Shock Jayhawk? <clears throat> uh, you can't prove it was me that wrote it, but yes. That son of a bitch. Yeah, so take it. All right, it, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll take it. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll <laughs> take it. I, I, this entire time I had the show prep. I see, I see this last night on Twitter, and I think to myself, well, there's our show intro. Yeah. Because yeah, I was going to air out grievances with you. I'll, I'll take this up with Steve. No, it's still a good show intro. It just wasn't me. I wrote it because I was asked to. Or really told to with money. I, I, I will do what money tells me to do. Clap like a seal. What's the strangest thing that you've written? I mean, that's um, up there. That was up there. I did get to do a couple of hashtag, uh, what, CJK5Hs. Uh, Craig James killed five hookers. Um, oh, wow, old old every day should be Saturday meme. Uh, uh, lots of, uh, but it's still a, a relevant one if you ask me. Uh, still oh, oldly but a goodie. I'm not. I'm not arguing yeah, that. Part. Still haven't found justice for that. Um, lots of go tigers. Go G E A 
you X, uh, lots of go blue, lots of go whatever. Yeah. Um, one of them asked me to, to provide my, like a random Simpsons quote. Some of them, some of them got what really kind Simpsons of fun quote? with it. Uh, I, I don't, I think I, I picked one with, with football. Which one was it? Um, I don't remember. It'll be a surprise to everyone. And then another, uh, our, my, my good friend, Greg Tepper, who, uh, writes for, uh, who, who is Mr. Texas high school football at this point. Um, I also provided him a Simpsons quote that I won't mention, uh, because he is a Simpsons guy. But anyway, uh, a lot of people got, try to get creative, but it was more like, Hey, uh, say something funny about blah, which, if it was like, this took like three days. This is all going to sound like a humble brag or something and whatever, if it does, I mean, you can go on Kickstarter and see how many people backed it and whatnot. But, um, but uh, you know, I, I, I type, I do not write. And, um, this was the most that I've written with my hand since college. Your wrist hurt. Uh, the, well, first of all, I grip the pen really stupid anyway. And I always have, so I've got like a couple of like indentions on my fingers or whatever here, but, um, like which which recall brings to mind every single test I took in high school, but like if I was catching one of those at the beginning of the day, like you know two or three hundred or whatever it was in a given day, um, like if I was catching it at the beginning, then I was like, oh cool, let's get creative about this. But like if it was towards the end of the day's pile, like ah, I don't want to think. Just tell me what to write. So uh, there was a varied degree of uh, good and bad. And I really only, I, I screwed up only one to the point where I couldn't send it. Um, you, you, if you're lucky, you'll get, you know, like the upside down baseball card where I clearly screwed up when I was writing a word and then just kind of wrote real hard over it because I didn't want to start over. Um, realized that I did that in every test I ever took in high school too. So, you know, I don't have a backspace button. I like, I, I'm used to having a backspace button. Anyway, I'm still caught up on what Simpsons quote had to do with football. The, the one off the top of my head is the when when Grandpa Simpson looks at the TV and sees Johnny Unitas and says, "That's a haircut you can set your watch by." But I think that's, that may be way too obscure. The uh, yeah, that was actually I remember that one now that you say it. But no, there was uh, in in what is it season nine ish. There's an episode called Bart Star where yeah, uh, yeah. So that was both of the quotes I used. Um, came from that episode. That was the first one I thought of. I looked it up and I remembered a couple of the lines. That was my one requirement is I have to remember the line to, to write it. I can't just look it up because that's cheating. You know what else uh, happens in the Bart Star episode? Lisa joins a team or something, doesn't she? Hank Hill, King of the Hill, cameo. Oh, is that the same one? Yeah, pretty sure. Huh. Oh, off-season intro from hell. Uh, Following a health convention held in Springfield, the children of Springfield, including Bart, are deemed to be overweight to help them stay in shape. The parents... No, it's just... It's like a throwaway. It's almost like a Family Guy gag where they cut in and at one point Springfield is beating Arlen. Oh. And then then Hank says something like, we drove all the way over there. It's like... I don't remember that. I remember the... It's it's very easy to make fun of someone. And fun, too, or whatever that quote was from Homer. But... um, Yeah, so we have the, oh man, do I get to dust off the phrase ass end? This is the ass end of the Sunbelt preview that we're coming out of. Um, I wrote some news last week. I have a feature-y thing about ratings and streaming I'm pecking at. I always like to announce these things in case Jason's listening. Um, And then everything else is either a project down the road. We're about to have some college football meetings. It is. It is quiet, my man. I texted with 
uh, a round of coaches yesterday, as I do just to kind of, I was off on Monday, just to kind of uh, kickstart my week. And I got mostly um, at a private clinic or took some time off. It's very quiet right now. And that's okay. We can't expect this thing to just, of the nine-month off-season, you have to have actual moments of off, of true off-season. Um, I would say coaches are in the office and, and probably um, more easily reached, although they can't talk for long when they're recruiting. So it's like the season really doesn't end. And then when right. it does, it, it's just like they fall off a cliff totally. So <laughs> To that end, Bill, we're going to talk about Georgia Southern. We'll talk a little bit about the rest of the Sun Belt since we kicked it off with Coastal Carolina on last week's episode. Um, we're not going to dwell too much on the rest of those teams, but we're going to talk a little book. By the way, uh, just go ahead and get the promo out of the way. I have to clinic you on this kind of stuff. Let's say you stumble across this podcast, right? Yes. Let's say the uh, This American Life file is corrupted, and naturally you pivot to us. Of course. We- you you have no familiarity with this book. Yes. You hear you hear one of the, the dulcet tones of the co-host and says, I've written a book. I'm a very intelligent college football uh, media person. How would one obtain this book right now have they not already done so? Well, technically you cannot do it at this very moment because while Amazon screwed up over the weekend and didn't list it as pre-order so that you could jump in and actually order it in real time, which apparently a few people did. Um, the book technically now comes out on March 7th again. Uh, so you, if you didn't take a, a advantage of that little glitch in the matrix, then then you got to wait again. But you can pre-order it if you go to Amazon.com. Uh, you can read a really funky description that I'm trying to get changed because the parsing on it was all messed up. There's no apostrophes in there uh, in the in the summary. It's kind of weird at the moment. But Taiwanese uh, animation studio. I, I can assure you that there are apostrophes in the book. Okay. Uh, it's called the 50 best college football teams of all time. Best with an asterisk. The asterisk stands for the most interesting, innovative, and influential anyway. Uh, it is not the 50 best teams of all time. It is 50 very fun teams to talk about, starting with 1906 Chicago, uh, finishing with 2013 Auburn. You've got a 1972 Tampa in there, a 1941 Northwestern, a 1930 Utah, a, uh, of course, 1980 Georgia. I believe I believe the plan is for uh, the 1980 Georgia chapter to be featured in Athlon this coming uh, summer, which is also very cool. Um, well, you, you get 19, you get 1924 uh, Notre Dame, 1925 Alabama, big momentous teams that you that that played a very specific role in college football's development, and you know then you get uh, 1970 uh, what 1973 Miami Ohio, 1970 Dartmouth, um, 20, uh, 2010 uh, Boise State. So it was there is a smattering. There is big, huge teams, and then just things I found interesting. And and um, the idea was to tell college football story uh, from 1906, from those rule changes that that legalized the forward pass to the present. And uh, these t- 50 teams were basically vehicle vehicles for doing that. Have you read the Dave Rebson book about sort of the early days of college football? I own it, and I uh, have read about a third of it, which is actually a compliment because I don't ever get as much yeah. read as I intend to for anything. But yes. No one does. So, yeah, I, I read about half of it. I'm at the Fiesta Bowl pregame, okay? And so all of those, like, collapsible sets that you see where it's like, we're coming to you from the field at the whatever – yeah. So the Big Ten Network has one, ESPN has one, and 
Fox might have. No, or SEC Network has like a pagoda. I don't know. Wait, not SEC Network. There was no SEC team there. There was a third one. I don't know. Just roll with it. And the Big Ten Network is like near the media entrance to the field and all this stuff. I go in. I got to take a leak. I'm standing there. I have the urinal moment where I'm like, oh, that's Dave Rebson. Which is fine. It's not like I consider him a famous person. He's a colleague. But he wrote a really good book, and I've heard him do a couple interviews promoting the book. And I was like, wow, that guy's like, that guy's really smart, especially for a TV guy. And I was like, I should engage him in conversation, but yet here we are in the, you know, the greatest of limbos, because it's, it's a large stadium urinal. But if he's listening, you did love his book. Um, okay. Um, I've only screened once today, so. Day nine. Um... Tell me about Georgia Southern in a state where I don't know anything else about any other kind of football that's played. Uh, Georgia Southern did exactly what we feared they were going to do about this point last year. Um, I, I actually, this is one of my favorite, this might be my favorite preview that I've written so far. It starts off with, with one of the big, long, great Irk Russell quotes. And I'm still not completely sure Irk, Ru- Irk Russell existed. I met for him. Sure, he was real. Because what, was he a hologram though? Because he he seems to. Irk Russell quotes are like are, are are too fictional to be real. They're amazing, but regardless, I use the the you ain't seen nothing yet quote from I think yeah. his retirement dinner or something like that. Bill, let me give you a quick story. Quick aside, let me yes. throw, you, throw this in Please. the ditch fast. Absolutely, uh, it's a blowout game, circa ah, ninety ninety one in Statesboro. All right. The stadium consists of just the two concrete slabs dug into the ground. Yeah. They don't have an upper deck. That's it. I think the press box is field level and it's like a trailer. I mean, it's like there's nothing going on. This is a 1AA school at the time. Georgia Southern is blowing out some hapless chump. I don't even know who. And my dad, I'm bored. I'm probably nine. I'm bored and I want to walk around. And we're up big. And my dad and I are walking around. We see this one man in the way at the top. Of, the, of these like bolding concrete seats, watching by himself, and he even has the coach's pose, which he's got one leg up, bent, yep. knee, elbow on. I'm I'm doing this in my office. Elbow on that knee, chin on that elbow, staring down at the field. Like any coach, he's watching to see what kind of effort, what kind of performance the the second team is getting in the waning moments of the fourth. You know they're up like thirty points. And my dad walks up and says, hey, excuse me, coach, just wanted to say hello, shake your hand. He had just written a book at the time that was probably sold 80,000 copies All in, in, in Bullock County, yeah. <laughs> and maybe some in Atlanta, and that was about it. Uh, but I did meet the man, and he was as tough and rugged and also as friendly as you would want from a football coach. He was pretty amazing. It's the first football coach I've probably ever met in my life. It was pretty awesome. Um, okay, fine, so he's real. He is real, and he was legend. Um, absolutely. So it's he. He has almost become what I wrote in the preview is that basically his shadow might hang over any pro, like any more over Georgia Southern than any other coach at any other program. And that's saying, I mean, there are some huge shadows in college football. I would but say that's really, true, just because when you talk about the Bear, I know everyone's screaming, you know, Bear Bryant, Steve Spurrier. One, my answer to Steve Spurrier is Urban Meyer, because the context yeah. in which we judged Florida last week and that whole argument is it's not Urban through Meyer. Spurrier. It's actually right. through Urban Meyer. Um, and then as far as the Bear goes, it's not just a Saban thing that they've won so much with Saban. It's that um, when you're that larger program and you modernize, it's 
you don't you didn't really see an old coach from a bygone era have that kind of influence. Like Paterno is one thing. That's right. a that's more of a cultural influence. It right. doesn't necessarily have to do so much with the style of football. The thing with Eric Russell was it was everything, and still is to this day. I've had to co- I've had coaches who have been at Georgia Southern in the modern era tell me multiple coaches say every dumb little thing he did and he turned it into into a tradition because they had no money, and then they won like you know nonstop. They won multiple national championships, and then everything sort of became you know sacrosanct or you know uh, ritual, whatever. Uh, that is impossible to get rid of now. So what I'm talking about is I've had coaches say, like, well, you know, they go to practices in the school buses, and then they have this whole beautiful Eagle Creek with the creek water, which is actually just a drainage ditch between two between two fields that were public land that they used to practice on, and now they expect every coach to come in there and do all this stuff. It just doesn't work that way. Um, it's a cult down there, and I'm from the cult. I grew up in the cult, so I can say it's a cult in the in probably the most – admirable way possible but it is no bones about it a cult and the cult does not like to lose to georgia state so my guess um is that it, you said what eighty nine ninety? is that what you said the range yeah it would have had to have been because Irk, Irk was still coaching in 89 so i'm guessing 90 91 uh in 90 they killed at home uh northeast louisiana oh, you, wait it was ulm oh man how weird well, would that have been well, maybe, possibly. Northeast Louisiana, 33-14. Uh, Savannah State, 54-7. James Madison, 31-13. Uh, or the Citadel, 31 nothing in the playoffs. So those, I'm guessing, were the games that you... Or Central Florida in the semis, 44-7. I want to say it was a Citadel game. Okay. He had just stopped coaching. That I remember my dad saying he was the football... Because you, know, you tell a 9-10-year-old... A 9-10-year-old and 10-year-old has no exposition, you know? So you tell them everything. Yeah, this this you, this was the football coach here, right. is what he said to me. And so he was fresh off the job. I want to say within because he died shortly thereafter, in classic football coach fashion. Why do you think Les Miles is trying to get a job? No, I was mean. I'm joking. That was very mean. Um, he died. No, he died in '06. Um, <laughs> it's all blended together after. No, I love. I love okay, that so you're I'm trying to figure out what game I was at. I know. I was. You know. That's what I do. Um. So. So, yeah, so he, he said, and the quote, I mean, it's, it's so perfect, the quote he used. You know which one I'm talking about. The quote, the full, you can find, I think, a YouTube version. You can hear him saying it. Uh, I'm going to say it one more time. We're Georgia Southern. Our colors are blue and white. We call ourselves the Bald Eagles. We call our offense the Georgia Power Company. That is a terrific name for an offense. And our snap count is rate hike. Uh, we practice on the banks of beautiful Eagle Creek. It doesn't say a drainage ditch. It says Eagle Creek. Well, that's in states. And that's in Statesboro, Georgia, the nat capital of America. Our weekends begin on Thursday. The co-eds outnumber the men three to two. They are all good looking. They are all rich. And folks, you can't beat that. You just can't beat Georgia Southern, and you ain't seen nothing yet. Um, okay. <laughs> my dad would agree with all that, except I don't know. If, I don't know how. Ri- I don't know how rich my mom was, but yeah. Um, so, so yeah, the Georgia Power Company, which I mean, obviously there have been different iterations, but the bottom line is, um, Georgia Southern fans believe that. To to be successful, you have to run the option. Yes, I mean that's, I think that's fair to say. And 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 look, you can do any sort of thing and succeed. Like Valdosta State is where How Mummy and, and Mike Leach ended up, and they got uh, crucified for not running the option, but they ended up winning games throwing the ball. Like it can happen. But at Georgia Southern, it's like self fulfilling. 
Um, there, there's some sort of like aura around the program that if you, no matter what you try, like if you don't run the option and in Tyson Summers case last year, if you don't truly love the option, you're not going to succeed. Uh, and it became self-fulfilling last year. They still ran the ball a lot. They were just terrible at it all of a sudden with all the same guys they were good at it with in 2015. If you ran anything, West coast, two back spread air raid, a 11, (laughs) And you won a national championship five years after the program started from right. nothing, then you would you would come to revere that. Yeah, they had yeah, nothing, no, I mean, and then they won a national championship. Basically, in the time that it took a person to go to college. Yeah, and, and they really didn't even. I mean, it was like fifth year of the program, but it was also like second full year of one double A. Like they started one double A in in eighty four and one in eighty five and eighty six. Georgia Southern, if you're not interested in Georgia Southern, is great context for the argument that we make all the freaking time during coach season and during recruiting season is when people talk about can you win there, they're always looking at natural resource. So Southern was always an experiment in having we don't have any money whatsoever. It was it was a teacher's college. My mom was my mom was a retired teacher. My dad was a was a retired FBI agent. They had a criminal justice program that they added. That's why they went to college there. They didn't they my parents were in college when there was no program there so this isn't something that has history they started the program in the 80s um they saw the potential of all these kids that were really talented having nowhere to go this doesn't really happen anymore this is also the kind of we're in an oversaturation period where the the city of charlotte says well unc charlotte should have a football team and then you know east tennessee state is bringing back football in johnson city where you don't have that you don't have natural resources of kids in a four or five county radius of johnson city tennessee that you could feel a competitive college football team with and yet they're still doing this they're doing it because it's football's big money but back then they saw you had georgia and you had georgia tech and those were schools way up the road if you don't realize the state of georgia is the biggest state east of the mississippi river think about that that includes florida they had a ton of land, a ton of kids who wanted to play football, and this is how it happened. And for years, they were so broke, they couldn't make the jump up. And then they decided, and this is a really interesting conversation, kind of ties back into what we said about Idaho last week. There were conversations at multiple points when schools like Northeastern Louisiana, which is now ULM, jumped to one, 1A, proper 1A. Do we want to do that and get killed? Do we want to do that? And have all of our advantage taken away. Where we take these stubby kids who don't necessarily get, you know, what we would today consider to be the two-star that doesn't get recruited by the University of Georgia and turn them into a fullback or turn them into, a, you know, a fullback defensive in combo or, you know, a B-back or whatever. Do we want to lose all that and get killed at 1A just to say we're 1A? So for years the answer was no, we're not going to do that. Eventually the money became too much. They made the jump up. And now we're at that point, right? So their first year in the Sun Belt, they were what give me some perspective on how good they were the first year in the Sun Belt. Obviously they if they could have competed for it, they would have they would have been in a bowl game, but they were lights out good. This is the year that follows um the the win over Florida. Right. Yeah, the 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 funny thing is the win over Florida that year they weren't actually very good because they were very 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 banged up. They um, lost what four or five games going to that game? Yeah, three, four, five games. Uh, and then they were so limited when they went to Florida. Like, like we've said before, they didn't, they didn't throw a pass. They, they only had a few weapons, uh, but they won anyway. 
Um, all right, so 2014 is Georgia Southern's first year at FBS. They were 54th in S&P. 2015, they were 43rd. They kind of trailed off at the end. They lost to Georgia. They got thumped by Georgia State, uh, which left an, a bad taste in everybody's mouths. And then really uh, but they were still two years at the FBS level. They were in the top 60 both years. Last year, they were 91st. So, by the way, um, because I, I was also – because I went through a bunch of Irk Russell quotes yesterday when I was prepping this preview and enjoying myself. Here, here's some more. A, at Georgia Southern, we don't cheat. That costs money. We don't have any. <laughs> do what your mama tells you to do. Go to Sunday school. Go to church. And when you die, you'll go to Statesboro. Is that true? Is, that, is Statesboro heaven? Um, I think my father would say so, yeah. I like it a lot. I'll leave I can't get... If I say any more, it would be heresy. <laughs> Emotionally, our players are just as tough as theirs. It's more. Uh, this is about Georgia. Uh, it's more physical than anything. Their players are taller. We've both got 260-pound linemen, but the ones at Georgia are 6'5", and the ones at Georgia Southern are 5'10". Um, let's see. We've got a bus that, conservatively speaking, has about 5 million miles on it. That's actually true. They didn't have any money in the, in the, in the facilities budget, and they didn't have a centralized location to practice. So they got from the local school district in the county, just gave them a school bus to use. But like an old one. So all that's true. Uh, let's see. What else we got? Well, first of all, like there's this whole uh, from Scripps News Service from 1987. There's a big, long, just uh, Al Browning, whoever that is, wrote a big piece about Eric Russell. Um, and the, the, the scene is, is great. It starts with one of the more amazing college football success stories in history was reborn somewhat whimsically. Five seasons ago, Georgia Southern resumed football beside Eagle Creek under the direction of the baldest of the birds, Eric Russell. Football had been dead since 41. The, com- the comeback schedule was peculiar. Peculiar. We played Florida State Junior University, the Fort Benning Doughboys, and Magnum Force, Russell said as he pulled a long cigar from his coat pocket. Magnum Force? Irk said that was a team of Jacksonville, uh, Florida policemen. Their cheerleaders looked like meter maids, Russell said. Uh, but yeah, yada yada. Tons I'll try to remember. Culturally this. sensitive commentary would work. Oh, well, yeah, this is, this is an, old, uh, an old football coach in 1987. So. Um, but anyway, I'll try to, if I, if I remember to put this uh, link in the post itself, I'll try to remember to do that. Cause it's, uh, it's something, but so here's anyway, why Georgia anyway. Southern is important. If you don't care. Yes. Um, they, this, in the next two seasons, we'll, we'll sort of answer, uh, the question that we have about a lot of programs in college football and not only that, but also the programs that they feed into, you know, whether or not it's worth it to jump to one a for I don't know, ambiguous, ambiguous ends. You know, if, if you're Georgia Southern, you're red hot and you were loaded. Munkin leaves for Army. Willie Fritz takes over. Willie Fritz is at Tulane. I think in probably two years, Willie Fritz will, will be angling for a Power 5 job. Um, then you make, right now, a bad hire, we have to say. is, a, is a, an extremely bad hire in Tyson Summers. Now, right. and it, it has the potential yeah. to it has the potential right. to resurface and, and and calm itself out, but right now it's really bad. Yeah, that may be all it takes for this for this program to fall into four, five, six, seven years of, I mean, not obscurity, but they they I don't think they're ever going to become the have the ULM problems that they always worried about, but it's close. Um, you know, they don't have a ton of money. What they do have are, are, is a really strong fan base relative to other Sunbelt programs. Right. When you go to a Georgia State, I'll put it this way. Uh, the athletic directors always kind of have a headache at, at like the MAC and the Sunbelt and the CUSA where they talk about like, oh, do we want these Tuesday night games and the MAC and all that kind of stuff. 
Georgia Southern is very picky about when they play their games because they will have they have a contingent of fans who leave Atlanta, Georgia, and drive, you know, roughly four and a half, five hours, and come down for the games. And so, if it's on a Thursday night, they want to know about it in advance. They want to make their plans, which is the same complaint that you would hear in the Southeastern Conference. Yeah. Well, it's why actually my alma mater doesn't play a lot of weeknight games, is because of all the Grove business. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with this program in the next couple of years. Because, I'm, again, I feel like you can't talk about Georgia Southern right now without talking about Georgia State. <clears throat> uh, this was the school that – so Georgia State is a teacher's co- – is like another teacher's college. It's like a place you would go to finish your degree at night if you lived in Atlanta. They start an athletic program. They're about to move into Turner Field as the Atlanta Braves leave. They have all the momentum now. They are starting to establish a small brand in terms of sitting in the city of Atlanta and being able to recruit. These are the things that always worry Georgia Southern. And for also for what it's worth, Georgia State, when they got into the Sun Belt before Georgia Southern, tried to block their entrance <laughs> and also stole, flat out stole the GSU moniker. So Georgia Southern is now referred to in media guides and everything else that's official as GS and not GSU, which is a big sticking point. I love the mid-major, the petty mid-major rivalries. They are the best. Shout out to Louisiana where that war still continues between <sighs> ULL, LSU, and ULM. Yeah, I only got lectured once this time for after my Louisiana Lafayette preview. My compromise with them is I will call them UL Lafayette. That's how they are listed in my database. That's just that's what I'm not. I'm not going to call them Louisiana. I'm okay. just not. Well, but, if you, also, if you do, do you know who gets mad? The fan base who has absolutely no reason to get mad because they're on top of the world in the Bayou is LSU. LSU fans <laughs> will correct you if you call ULL Louisiana. Well, so my just compromise. Let them have it, you God. My compromise is that I will not call them Louisiana, but I will in shorthand because I always have like five kind of, uh, you know, uh, Louisiana Monroe is ULM, Louisiana Monroe, uh, the war. I, I have to have like three, four, five different things to call them over the course of these pieces because they're long. Right. Uh, I will call Louisiana Lafayette UL. I won't say ULL. I will call them Louis- UL Lafayette and UL, and that's my compromise. And by the way, like I kind of – I'm not going to say I get it because – um you know, I don't know LSU's rationale, but at Missouri, um, the, the the politics behind Southwest Missouri State going to Missouri State a long time ago, it was so much based on people from Springfield running the legislature and wanting to build up their program, more or less. Um, and, you know, cutting certain things off from Mizzou. Well, hang on, how about it? Where is, where is Missouri State located? Springfield. Okay. And so it was a very political thing to kind of bolster uh, Southwest Missouri State and in the perception of Mizzou people, hurt Mizzou. Um, And so uh, one of the more fun moments I've ever uh, been to, uh, at least in a minor sport, was I think in 05, Missouri hosted what was then Missouri State uh, in volleyball in the NCAA tournament. Missouri had an awesome volleyball team that year. And uh, the, the, the decent-sized uh, smattering of Missouri State fans there tried to get an MSU chant going, and it got just drowned out by Missouri fans chanting SMS, which was the old uh, Southwest. All those little petty things are so great. But without knowing the politics of Louisiana, and I try to avoid anything even close to involving politics in Louisiana, uh, maybe they have a reason. Maybe it's political, I, but whatever. UL... And you are Lafayette, that's my compromise. Let me open this up to our listeners because we are only of our regions and only of our, our tribes and places. Um, if you can send us trivial business like this, this is what this show loves to just <laughs> lay down and roll in. Um, I know that when I was in Oxford in college, 
uh, the Memphis State to Memphis transition happened. Yeah. And with no real precursor of denigration or no there's no reason it should be an insult but whenever a school changes its name it's almost always a lower tier school right yeah i mean i can't think of a major school doing that. yeah i know it'd be weird every other school calls them by the name they left as an insult right (laughs) what a unique concept in college fandom because i can remember being i can remember covering Ole Miss games out of college and hearing fans chant Memphis State when Ole Miss would beat Memphis, which I always thought was such a strange thing. What does it matter one way or the other? Also, Memphis State sounds a hell of a lot cooler than the University of Memphis. Yeah, I will. Like, I, you can't I will. pull off Cincinnati State. I don't think that works. <laughs> you know, you can pull off Memphis State. You can pull off Savannah State. Um, I mean, if you go through the – like, Pittsburgh State doesn't work, but how cool is Pitt, right? As right. someone who went to college at a nickname university like Ole Miss – I always thought Pitt was one of the coolest names in college football. Not always the coolest product. And then they went out of their way to to get, to ditch it, which I've never fully understood. But they've they've come around. They've brought back the Pitt script. All is good. Is, um, now, are, is there color key? As we really just completely meander here, is there color key back to the way it used to be, like Marina well, era? I think it's. We should have Spilly on. I don't think so, but I think they they do a lot more retro days now. Like if you go to uh, PittsburghPanthers.com, yeah. you still see that dark navy. Um, so August two, all right, August sixteenth, two thousand sixteen, the Post Gazette almost worked there out of college. A really like small job. Um, they have they debuted their throwback games that they work in Georgia Tech, right? And that's what I'm talking about. That's the pit that we need. So yeah. the color I would best describe it as is like. Um, a, a, not a not a, a royal blue, okay. And what I would call, for some reason, this is just sticking in my mind, like a Tupperware yellow. <laughs> All right, <laughs> not yeah, really so a golden yellow, a Tupperware yellow, and I love it. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think it amazing. screams nineteen seventy nine kind of hell yes. And, Which and is why we love it, and why and why like people who market st- uh, study this stuff don't. But yeah, so but now they brought back the pit script. The, I was right say, the, the biggest point, the biggest point of contention with me was not that they went with the navy and gold, which I thought, I mean, God, how many other schools have that? Right. Also, their right. navy and gold always look really dark and washed out and just really unappealing, was that they got the rid of the especially. script. Yeah. Maybe it's the because problem. I went to a script university. <laughs> but you can't get rid of the script. How many script yeah. universities are there? Right. Um, right now. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at the list of schools to try to find more. But how many script universities are out there? The the point would be not many, uh, but they did bring that back. They still that that color that shade of gold is the least appealing shade of gold possible. It's not yellow. It's it's like more gray than yellow, uh, and I do not like it at all. But the script, if we're talking compromises, bringing back the pit script was something, uh, and I appreciate them. For These that. things matter, and I'm not kidding at all. I mean, I love the fact that Raging Cajuns is spelled the way it is and has the yeah. Fleur kind of emphasis font yep. on the helmet. Love it. I mean, I personally would go with, as much as I loathe the New Orleans Saints, I would have gone with, because the ULL is red and white and so bold, I would have gone with some sort of iteration on a Fleur de Lis. I get that. It's probably a branding issue down there. I get that. Um, by the way, do we have any other script schools? Uh, what's going to grind this whole thing to a, to a halt, but I don't think that we do. 
For a second, I was thinking UMass, but no, they they have the block lettering. Um, I think we're out. I think we're done. Why do I want to think that Indiana had one for a while? I'm just making that up. I'm making that up. I mean, uh, yeah. I think, and and the other well, thing was, no, wait, maybe one of their alternate helmets had had something. Oh wait, does Tulsa count? Tulsa script, count it. Really? Count it. Look at it. Fantastic audio. Oh, that's right. The new helmets. Yeah, I love the new helmets. Duh. They've had those helmets for a while, though. See, anything from Oklahoma, I immediately default to whatever it was in about 1989. Uh, what did a Tulsa so, helmet in 1989 look like? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to pull up an example here. Help me out. Helmet Hut. There it is. Helmethut.com, by the way. Yeah, helmethut.com is up there with FBSschedules.com and LSU. Um, what is the actual URL? We should always plug those guys. They are the best. It is lsufootball.net. And then you also, yeah. if you want to, just bookmark it. Backslash tvschedule.htm is the single most efficient. As I say this and plug that into my browser to read, Bill, they have every single spring game, spring game. already yeah. loaded in, ready to go. By the way, Arizona starts again first. Don't know if I'll be out there this year. Might be a little tough to sell that one. Uh, and, and as I say, this helmet lets me down. They only have a picture of a game-worn 1964 Tulsa helmet. Um, we have a Tulsa listener, by the way. I think someone yes. in the athletic department. I, I, I fear he's going to be able to make fun of me because I might be I, just completely forgetting that they've had script for a long time, and now it's embarrassing. Yes, uh, since we're since we're playing yeah, a lot of had um, for a long time, man, I thought that was not. Yeah, it's it's been script. God, I, fa- I failed in my Oklahoma credentials. I have to get. I have to. Get oh them. God, Florida! <laughs> Damn, somebody's been screaming into a car audio system <laughs> or an iPad or iPod for about what five minutes. And. They're great. Well, here's why I didn't think about it. It's because it's the it's the it's the nickname and not the school. Sure, we can use that as an excuse if you want. I only do this for a living. Gators. Now, here's my defense of that. Not a proper G. As someone with the last name Godfrey, but I hate the proper G. I don't. Now, I will say this: when I sign my name, all them fat checks I rake in, autographs I give, I use the regular G. The because Arabic, the proper G is stupid. I think the, we can agree the, the on true that. English script, or not script, but the... Now, if you notice on the Gator helmet, A-T-O-R-S, cursive, script lettering. G stands on its own, which is exactly how I sign my name. Gators. Stephen okay. Norman Gators Jr. And you, still, uh, and you still forgot about them. Which is weird, too, because my... <sighs> My really true entrance into modern college football fandom. When you grow up in the one double A, television kind of really prevents you from like latching on. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I I grew up in with NAIA, so yeah. Ninety six, ninety seven, Florida is really my like reawakening. I would say it's also right about the time I moved from Washington D.C. to the South. So it's one of the reasons. Ten college football games I ever went to were all Southwestern Oklahoma State, uh, and I always got pissed at my dad because he wanted to leave in the third quarter, and I and I. Was pretended like I cared about the results of the game. Bill, take a note. Uh-huh. We got to find a situation in which you would leave a game early. N- well, n- now, uh, well, 
It's become a lot easier the last couple of years with Missouri, uh, with friends who who live out of town and night games and needing to get back to pick up their kids, and then I'm sitting in the stands alone. Uh, it's a lot easier to leave early then. But but you don't. Well, I, I, I have. I will say that. I have. I still don't do it often, but I have. I, as a reflex, don't do it because I've been to, I don't know, Three games as not a sports writer. Three football games as not a sports writer in the past. Well, yeah, years. if you're in the booth, you don't leave early. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you just don't. Uh, I do. By, what, the way, I, by the way, that's not me. Hey, that is not me casting down aspersions because there are many, many times, especially on them Thursday night jokers, where I've looked around and thought, "Y'all need to get home." I'd be getting home. Yeah. Especially oh yeah. Thursday. Jokers. Thursdays are. I. The first time we had a Thursday game, like leading up to it, was like, "Oh hell yes, ESPN. This is going to be amazing." And it, it, it was that 09 Nebraska-Missouri game where Indomitian Sue breaks Blaine Gabbard in half and it rains about 38 inches. Um, oh, God, that was, that still, was a terrible. Uh, that was still a very unique experience. And until the fourth quarter, it was great because Missouri was winning. Right. And then suddenly Nebraska scored like four touchdowns in a row. I meant but, terrible game to stand out in Brandon, right. actual game. But I watched like it in we were, It was fantastic. We were looking forward to it for a very long time, like special deal. The campus has to close early to get parking ready and all right. this stuff. And then they announced that Missouri would be hosting Mississippi State on a Thursday night in 2015. And even before we knew that Missouri was going to have no offense in 2015, the response was basically, Ugh. like the, the first time it sounds amazing. And then after that, you're like, man, and all these people have to le- go you know, get off work early. And then they get home at like 1 a.m. in the morning, at, getting back to St. Louis and Kansas City. And it's just a hassle. So, yeah. It's, all right, I'm going to open that up, too. As I think about the fact that we don't have much to talk about for the next month. If you have a horrific weeknight game story. <laughs> but that, that's the, those are the parameters. Weeknight. Non-holiday. Don't give me that Black Friday business. You're off yeah, work. Everybody's off that work. Account. Traffic's not the same. And don't, don't tell me about, uh, what's the other loophole? Labor Day weekend doesn't count either. I don't want to hear it. And, and uh, the other side, let us know if you have a great game experience. And it wasn't... Uh, I'm a Rutgers fan, and I was at the Rutgers Louisville game in those six. That one doesn't. That was that was a singular amazing uh, moment, and it doesn't count. Uh, by the way, circling, watch that. Circling back uh, to our original uh, divergence here, take a note. Yeah. Uh, at some point, since I have newspapers.com subscription, and it is the most amazing site in the world, um, gonna go back to the 1950s when Oklahoma A&M became Oklahoma State, because I want to see how long this has been a thing. I want to see if I can find some smart-ass letters to the editor or columns from the 50s. Oh, people uh, being mad? Of OU fans uh, uh, making fun of Oh, OSU. I'm sure it's out there. Now, uh, just, I want to know how long OU fans called OSU A&M, just to, just to need Well, them. I'm sure we have some Sooners that, that can answer that question. I feel like this is, would be a question they would ask their parents. Yes. And I mean, moreover, listeners, if we have old listeners, that's great. But I'm assuming, yeah, that's an ask. Your and moreover, I, no, I think our median listener age is pretty. Our median listener age is like young dad. Right. 30, so older, older, but not old enough. Um, uh, Oklahoma State fans might be able to answer that. Bill, I have one more thing I'm going to solicit for. Okay. Peak, peak laziness. So to review, we have, please tell me about any weird regional um, insult slang stuff with school names because I know they're out there and I just don't know about them right all across the country I know this stuff okay. has to happen and then 
Let us know your really, really horrific, I want horrific, Bill wants uplifting, uh, weeknight game stories. And then also, one more thing. I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to go in the spring. I have a big, large, probably about 9 to 10 pound caveat, if it's as large as the last one. And that's that I will be a parent again in mid-April. So I'm not really going to be hitting a lot of spring games. Bill? I, I just felt like whistling there. Oh, okay. I, I didn't want to clap and startle you, so you that, clap, was that's my, fine. that was um, my applause. Yeah, I had sex. It's okay. Um, I'm pretty proud of myself. Uh, so I've got to figure out. I'm going to condense my spring visits into like two runs, like probably two re- regions of the country. Now, before you just tweet me and say, like, you should go to Alabama and Michigan, uh, this is snbnation.com. So if you consume our content, you kind of know where we are in the pecking order of the world. Um, location isn't necessarily an issue, although I was just out on the West Coast. And it's, man, those flights are long. Uh, I'm just curious if there's anywhere you're dying to know about. And if it's just your alma mater, that's fine. I get it. And if it's Wisconsin, legally, we're not allowed to write about you. That's how ignoring Wisconsin works. Okay? Spoiler alert, it's the government. That's why we don't ever talk about Wisconsin. Um, but yeah, I want to know. If anybody, if you're, I tell you what, and here's the rule on that one. It can't be your alma mater, the team you cheer for. I think that makes it a lot tougher. And if you're listening out there and you're in your mid-major G5, holler at me. Or P5. Do you know I wrote a story recently, and one of the sources came from a listener on the show? Do you know how terrifying that is? <laughs> you know how absolutely terrifying that is? So, so to summarize, now that you've given our readers four different assignments. Yes. No, Politics. look, hey, this is free content. Somebody has to do work here. <clears throat> politics, good weekday games, bad weekday what games. What did I say on politics? Well, that's the... The, the name, name change thing? Okay, the yeah, name, yeah, yeah. Political name changes, yes. Okay. Um, One. Good, good weekday games. That's yours. <laughs> bad weekday games. Two. Stephen Godfrey's Spring Destinations. Yes, I want you to to develop my editorial calendar. Okay. And also, if Jason's listening, he's just going to say, LOL, nope, and then just tell me, like, don't go there. Or go there. You're just trying to blame it on Jason when somebody requests something that you don't do. That's not true. I've, yeah, I mean, if somebody says... That, now, if you say, hey, go check out UMass, I'm <laughs> not going to go to UMass, but if there's an interesting idea out there, pitch me. Look, this is the crossroads of I hate the media. They don't ever do blank about my team or they talk too much about Team Y. And then this is the open forum. It doesn't get any more interactive than this. I'll come to your wedding, okay? I'll officiate your wedding. I'll circumcise your baby, all right? We're in touch with our listeners. So if you want me to go somewhere, let me know. Can it be warm also? Can I, can I, can I request warm? <laughs> those flights, those flights to the west, by the way, they are kind of long or longer. Yes, but they're so pretty. They're so pretty. Like when you're when you're starting to go down towards LAX and you go kind of go over those like I, I don't know if they call them mountains. They're not mountains, but you know when you go over that area in eastern California, it's, it's very pretty. That's a mountain. The Sierra Nevada. Uh, what, Difference what between me and you is I went to Eugene and I went to Salt Lake. And the only thing I thought from about the time I was west of Oklahoma was, well, if we crash, we'll die instantly. Every time I looked down, I would see just these, like, untouched, just vast mountain ranges as you go through Utah and the Rockies. And I just thought, well, it would be an instant death, hopefully, and I wouldn't have to eat anybody. As I just struggled to, like, you know, 
embrace the inevitable cold death, why not die fast in a, in a, in a ball of jet fuel fire? Okay, so the Sierra Nevadas are further north. I just looked it up because I didn't think that sounded right. So, for, yeah, if you're coming from Salt Lake, you'll catch Sierra Nevada. I was catching Arizona. So, like, let's see. That would be the... I don't even... I doubt we even got, like, Mojave. This was just, like, Palm Desert stuff. Joshua Tree stuff. Um, but it's very pretty. And um, Queens of the Stone Age country. Yes. Raul Rodriguez sent us a reader mail yesterday. I also want to point out that transition there was not because we, we cut. That was just how awkward the show's been. This, these, are, these are my favorites. Um, Era, Nevada... Continue. Really, we should keep a list of the things that uh, one of us has Googled in this show because it is... Uh, what the listeners are for. Jesus. Okay, so the Sierra Nevadas are overlooking San Francisco. Yes. Don't so at if me. You're, if you're coming from uh, Nevada, or uh, from Utah, excuse me, well, and then Nevada, uh, you might catch part of it. But coming from Dallas, which is where I fly out of. Mm-hmm. All right. Raul Rodriguez, UGA question for podcast is the subject line. Hey, guys, so you know your podcast is tied with Shutdown Fullcast. That's my favorite. Uh, oh, that's your fault for your poor taste. Uh, yeah, I don't know who that's an insult to. It's an insult to somebody, I think. Uh, anyway, you guys have talked about Florida extensively in the last month. Let's turn the conversation to our arch rival, the Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> Bill's number tell us UGA, UGA was but, capital B-U-T-T, last year. Godfrey's connections and the recruiting rankings seem to tell us Kirby Smart is going to get it going at UGA. Yes. First question. Yes. Was UGA as bad as their S&P ranking indicated last year? Well, of course, because S&P is never wrong. Uh, from what I saw, they didn't seem to be that bad. Frankly, I was surprised they finished 68th. This was worse than Iowa State, Oregon State, Michigan State, Texas Tech, and a batch of other schools uh, that seemed to be much worse than Georgia. Uh, the ranking also was way worse than any S&P ranking must champ achieved in Florida, even when he finished four and eight. The numbers at Football Outsiders go back to 05, but I can't imagine UGA has finished this low since Jim Donnan's first year in 96, or maybe even the Ray Goff era. To me, their future looks bright. Uh, they have what could be a star QB in Eason. They have stud running backs. The O-line was a mess, but they have a very good O-line coach. That mm-hmm. doesn't count towards the rankings, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you expect the defense would be elite under Smart. They were lights out in recruiting this past cycle. Uh, even with a future that looks bright, I can't get over their low S&P ranking for 2016. What did Kirby do wrong in year one? How quickly can he fix whatever he did wrong? Lots of stuff. Uh, That's okay, yeah. though. It's year one. We made fun of Kirby because the Georgia hive mind said that they, this was plug-and-play national championship. Not that they were going to win a title in 2016, but that they were they were upgrading. Whereas a lot of us reasonable people without a, a, a dog in the fight said well this guy's a first year head coach and Rick ran one of the most consistent programs in the history of the modern game so it's not that Kirby did anything fatally wrong at all I think he if let me, let me just say this if I had to guess I don't really know anyone on the 16th staff that he had if I had to guess it was a combination of learning how to manage the week to week for the first time Learning how to acclimate to a roster versus making a roster acclimate to you, which is something that young first-time head coaches have a tough time with. And then I think that it was, I mean, just getting your sea legs. That's a cliche, but it's everything. It's pace of the game, play calling. They didn't have the talent that they needed in a lot of positions. You know, when you bring together coordinators for the first time, how that matches up, how how the dynamics start to create. You can have clicks develop It's it's it, in terms of the roster. This is all just first-year stuff. I mean, this is why certain coaches continue to get jobs 
you see it more often in co- at the NFL, but in college, experienced head coaches know how to address this stuff faster. That's all. I don't think it's a referendum on. I don't think anything was a referendum on Kirby this year at all. Nor should it be next year. So, so here's what S P saw. Let's put it that way. Here's what S P sees in these rankings. Okay. Uh, in developing these rankings. All right. So first, we'll we'll start with yards per play. That's an easy one. Um, national average for yards per play is around 5.7, 5.8 in a given year. Okay. Here's the, here are the games where Georgia exceeded 5.7 or 5.8. Six point six against North Carolina in the opener. That was very good. That was a fun game. That was a very fun game. Six against Nickel State. It was a weird game. That was a Ronald Ollie touchdown game. Six point three against Kentucky. Six point eight against and you Louisiana. You put in your top one hundred. Six point eight against Louisiana Lafayette, and then six point three against TCU. They average. Well, here's what dragged them down: Missouri's defense turned out to be, uh, to use a Stephen Godfreyism, assy. Uh, they averaged four point four yards per play against Missouri. They had a, like a burst in the second quarter, and then they had the drive at the end of the game. Otherwise, they got absolutely nothing. They averaged 4.9 against uh, Ole Miss. Ole Miss turned out to be pretty assy, especially when it came to big plays, especially when it came to the ground game. Um, they averaged 3.2 yards per play against Florida. They averaged 4.5 yards per play against Auburn. So basically, if you had a good defense, um, you s- completely shut down Georgia. And if you had a bad defense, you had a 50-50 shot of shutting down Georgia. Um, so and, you're and, saying and, their I mean, performance against Ole Miss hurt them? Yes. And then that's just such a different Ole Miss team, though. Yeah, and I mean that's you can certainly point to that. You can point to that the fact that Ole Miss was a different team in September than they were the rest of the year. Weirdly, too, um, a different Kentucky team by season's end as well. Right. Yeah, and down the stretch they were they won four out of five down the stretch. They looked legitimately decent down the stretch, and and their their rating went up because of it. But basically, S and P sees a team that was. 82nd in success rate, raw success rate, unadjusted for opponent, uh, 96th in isolated points per play, the explosiveness measure. Um, and then the kicker, the reason that probably they get bumped further down than maybe it seems they should, mm-hmm. points per tri- scoring opportunity. That, that little part that, that holds whatever percentage of the formula. Not a humongous part of the formula, but a part of it. Um, Georgia averaged 3.8 points per trip inside the, the, uh, inside the 40 four points for, per first down inside the 40, I guess they ranked 120th in that on offense. They ranked 95th on defense in that they allowed 4.8. Um, now that, that includes big plays. So like if you scored on an 80 yarder, that counts. Um, but yeah, so basically they were terrible at turning scoring chances into actual points. And that was the, probably the single biggest thing that dragged them down uh, overall. But you, had to, you have to be encouraged. Well, obviously, you have to be encouraged by recruiting. Mm-hmm. But then you also have to be encouraged by the fact that, that you know, whatever their best results are, they probably came late in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the TCU game was, I mean, it's, uh, bowl games are always weird. You don't want to take too much from them. But, the, the, I mean, TCU was decent. Uh, they were top 50, and they beat TCU. Uh, they uh, probably handled Louisiana Lafayette more than the 14-point win would suggest, but they handled Lafayette. Uh, weird games against Kentucky and Auburn, but they won them both. Granted, they also blew the Georgia Tech game, um, and, and they were as hapless as ever against Florida. But regardless, that's four, four out of five down the stretch that were somewhere between decent and good. Um, and then S&P projections for next year based on all the returning production they have and the recruiting rankings and recent history – uh, that suggests they are on average going to be better than 70 if they're in the top 20 again. So, yeah, I mean, if they are, if they only improve to like 50th next year, I think 
it's still two years is, is still pretty early to judge coaches as a, as a whole, but that, if they don't improve significantly in year two, I think there's reason to be concerned about Kirby. Not not like fire him, drop him, uh, you know, whatever. I think it's but, the way in which th- those things happen. It's going to have to be shades of gray. And what I mean by that is specifically development of Eason in the, in the uh, offense. And you want to see a more methodical improvement on defense by the talent that's coming in. So they probably were forgiven a little bit more on defense. Um, but... Uh, you assume that they're going to be able to plug a little bit more of those two recruiting classes in on defense. Um, and then you, I think really it'll come down, honestly, who am I kidding? It's Georgia. It's going to come down to whether or not Easton starts to look like, you know, Stafford and Cox and all right. that. It's really yeah, that I, simple. Yeah. I mean, they, the, the, the defense was up and down and they finished 35th in defensive S and P plus, which isn't, which is worse than normal for them, but it's still not bad. But the offense ranked 93rd. That's where the most of the issues were. They, they looked uh, tremendous in that opener against North Carolina. They looked just good enough against Missouri in week three. Uh, they looked like, like, but to use the email word uh, against nickel state, they looked like, but against Ole Miss, they looked like, but against Auburn and Florida and Vanderbilt and part of the South Carolina game and, and the, the deciding part of the Georgia tech game, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but again, like you, even though S and P was very harsh on them, S and P also projects them top 20 next year. So, um, it should be a short, there should be a bounce back and it shouldn't take very long. Anxiety is pretty low around there because they've, they're, they're looking better in February. Which is one of the things that was slowly and eating. They were crazy up. young, and they got uh, Chubb and Michelle back, which uh, was getting both back was kind of surprising. But they got both of them back, and Brian Harrian actually kind of on a per carry basis outdid both of them last year. So um, yeah, I mean losing Isaiah McKenzie, I, I believe he went pro. That hurts a little bit, but overall, I mean, yeah, they get most of their key contributors back. They get a lot of, you don't want to start five freshmen on the offensive line, but they'll get a, a boost from recruiting. Like some freshmen will probably crack the starting line up there. Um, and hey, then, Bill. You know, Roquan, yes. Did you know? Did you know? No. September 9th that Notre Dame is hosting Georgia? <laughs> yes, I did. Did you know that? Sugar Bowl, baby. Did you know that somebody has to win that football game? Who, if, if I... Um, if I held a gun to your head and forced you to root for one of the team or the other. Uh, oh, man. man. Although, I should point out Georgia. that the, that 100% of the time that Georgia and Notre Dame play, uh, the winner wins the national title. <laughs> Please play that up. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, man. It's one for one, but it happened. All right, seriously, I, like... Not even our show meme, but we got to legitimately take a note just to screw with people on social that week. Um, that game's going to happen, and let's just say Notre Dame's house is in a little bit more disarray, which is yes. safe to say. Yes. App State opener. Tricky, tricky. Uh, Notre Dame, Samford, the Bulldogs. Mississippi State, a team that they are even in a year or two of rebuilding, more talented than. Welcome to life in the South. Team could be 4-0 going into Neon Stadium. Could be, yes. Could be 1-3 could be technically, but probably won't be, yeah. 1-3, Jesus. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> could be a really fast rebuild. Stupid will, man, the stupid will get ahead of them fast, especially with that fan base. Yeah, I'm really curious what... Um, 
Notre, say they, meanwhile, Notre Dame's going two and ten next year. I'm sorry, keep going. <laughs> uh, and based on uh, what S and P did this last year, they'll be two and ten, and they'll be like thirty third. Mm-hmm. But um, what happens? I'm just going to paint a picture for you. What happens if Georgia loses to Notre Dame, say thirty to sixteen? What happens with the fan base? What happens with uh, beat Mississippi like, State? Nothing. Okay. Honestly, you sure? You too. You too sure early. though? Yeah, it's you too. Too early. Okay. Did they beat App? I I mean, in this, I guess so. Like obviously, you want another team? Too. Notre Dame beats Temple, and and Georgia beats App. Nothing. Okay. Stanford, you win. Beat Mississippi State three and one going in going into Knoxville, which is a whole another enigma wrapped in a riddle. We can uh, we'll figure out later. No, you're fine. Three and one is okay. Bully for them for scheduling a home and home. Yeah. Uh, I, by the I way, feel Rob, legally required to mention that every time I see an appealing <laughs> one and one. Yes. Although I don't see a return on here. Really? It's not on eighteen. There it is. It's in nineteen. Uh, by the way, Raw Will's email ends with. Finally, in your opinions, what does the future hold for UGA in the coming years? Should I expect to routinely walk out of Everbank Field into the crisp wind coming off the St. John's uh, River? Ready to drown my sorrows in bourbon as the dogs bark and shake their red pom-poms? Or should dog fans expect to have quiet rides back to the St. Simons as they question why they keep coming back to Jacksonville every year? Um, Wait, is Raul a Florida fan? Yes. Oh, why is he asking so much about Georgia? Well, that's what he said at the beginning of the email that you were not Uh, saying. Oh, just because we already talked about Um, I said last week Math and logic say that If if I'm picking, especially after the way I treated Florida last week That (laughs) that Georgia should go on Like a 6 out of 8 run Just to even things out a little bit But, uh uh, no I don't believe that I mean Nothing good happens for Georgia and Jacksonville Just In terms of trends and, and Eliminating any sort of view of the specific rivalry Like Trends are fine for both of these teams. Not not great for either at the moment. Not yeah. guaranteed title contender or anything like that. But both of them are probably top twenty caliber programs moving forward. So in that that alone suggests it should be semi even. But we'll see. You know what I'm starting to feel like. Maybe I can get Ryan Nanny get his dander up a little bit because secretly he secretly loathes everything about the state of Georgia. Um, is that the rivalry it once was? It's it's a rivalry. Um, that especially of late, it seems to focus on the loser a hell of a lot more than the winner. That's a very good way of putting it. It hasn't catapulted anybody to like national title sta- status or anything like that. Uh, but the loser feels just miserable and yeah. it, and seems to like either further yeah. or create a downward. It doesn't spiral position the winner so much as it does force the hand of the loser. Right. Well, and, and so and the that other thing, alone makes it kind of—it's a misery rivalry, not a spectacular national title-ish kind of rivalry. So what, 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 what goes on on the periphery, though, is really—it's really regional. To go back to like the whole Statesboro thing in Georgia Southern, is that if you're a Georgia fan, it really depends on where you're from to figure out who you hate the most. <laughs> yeah, you know, in and the the quote-unquote woke Georgia fan, as if such an entity existed, hated Alabama the most, a team they didn't even play that often. Although when they do, they got trucked. Um, because of the, the the raid that was going on in Atlanta uh, in recruiting, but I don't, know. I don't know. I feel like it's a rivalry that's definitely it's definitely lost some appeal, and it, it's been pretty not fun to watch. Right, I, and that's the other part of it. I mean, like as a whole, these are still top twenty caliber programs and whatnot. But yeah, the games themselves have been kind of 
misery and slogs. And, and so that certainly colors our, whether we look forward to the game or not. All right, one more question. We've, we've, we're crossing like 70 minutes here at some point. One more question, and then we'll, uh, we'll ditch. See, every, we're like, I don't know what we're going to talk about today. Well, we're over 70 minutes now, and we haven't talked about anything. Just most of my genealogy in the state of Georgia. <laughs> uh, PAPN, UCLA, WTF is the subject line. Our friend Nick, Nico. Uh, oh, hi, PAPN. Thank you both for the great work you do. Bill with the numbers. Can't wait to order your book for summertime reading. And Stephen with the words. The best season is Godfrey season. S-Z-N season. My question is about UCLA. What the heck am I supposed to think about UCLA? It's a good question. It's, really good it's question. Very, it's a very pretty campus. That's what I have to say about UCLA. Uh, my team has featured, in, has featured in off-season articles about the biggest underachieving programs for four straight off-seasons. I keep track. Yeah. Uh, and it makes sense. Playing in the Rose Bowl in a recruiting hotbed should theoretically deliver more than the one conference title in 18 years that mm-hmm. I can claim. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, parentheses, the 93 and 95 titles were when I was born and when I was two. So he's not counting those. That's fair. 93? Um, that happened. Uh, I forgot about that. So, so much for the old, uh, the, the da- young dad listeners. Uh, two, we are a rightful heir to the Clemsoning throne is the other. Uh, oh, that's, that's some bold talk. Um, I think I know what he's talking about there, but we'll come back to that. Uh, Whenever the fan base starts to clamor, and despite living in sunny L.A., we do our fair share of clamoring and being miserable. Yes, they do. Um, People seem to scold us and say that UCLA should just be happy with eight or nine wins every now and then, especially when playing in the same city as USC and in a tough conference. I feel justified in both being reasonably happy with Moore, 2016 being the exception, but also realizing that he probably missed his shot at a conference title. Is UCLA considered a desirable job in college football, given its status as a perpetual sleeping giant? This is something that other UCLA fans I know cannot agree on. Um, Let pay homage real quick. You know what? You can be miserable in warm weather and, and, and nice locations. I hate that theory. That like dumb <laughs> talk radio of like, well, you know, Detroit has the best sports fans. Because look at all that they go through, and then they bring that – they bring that downtrodden need for a winner into the stats all a bunch of not dad words. Um, no, you can be miserable about a sports team anywhere in the country. That's the beauty of being a sports fan. Pretty miserable right now. And if I have to read one more Nashville It City article, I'm going to gag. Hey, Nashville's a pretty I, – I like Nashville. Bill, UCLA was fifth in 247's uh, uh, team rankings in terms of the Pac-12. I don't know where they were nationally. But I noticed this because I was at Oregon. Oregon shot up the board. USC dominated the board. Stanford finished pretty strong. Washington. Oh, they ended up up, uh, fourth, actually. They eked ahead of Washington. I've got this pulled up right now. Where are you seeing this business? 2017? Yes, 2017. Uh, uh, Composite team rankings, conference equals Pac-12? 2017, Pac-12, football. Recruiting, team rankings, updated, Valentine's Day, yesterday. Wait, uh, I'm looking at the composite. I'm looking at the team rankings. Okay, well, I, I, we might be off there. Anyway, just, steal, so I, just steal my thunder, Bill. Composite says fourth, but you go just right steal ahead. Steal my thunder. This is interesting. It was interesting to a lot of people on the West Coast. Yeah. Um, USC, totally predictable. Oregon, surprising. Good on, good on Taggart. Uh, Washington, to be expected, coming off of conference championship appearance in the playoff. Stanford, surprising a little, um, just because they're pulling in. Stanford, we'll have to put a pin in this for later, definitely take a note, really conflating the whole idea of you have to go out and find the smart ones. They're just going out and finding good football players who seem to qualify and graduate, so bully for them. UCLA finished fifth. 
this is a class that people didn't expect to come together at all. Because this is a staff that people didn't expect to be together for much longer. Because it's a head coach that seems to have worn out his welcome. It's a, it's a job I hear about opening all the time. It's a coach that I hear about moving all the time. Um, it's a coach that I know was interested in another major Power 5 opening um, this offseason. So it's impressive what they did. They just We're at a point now with the Mora-UCLA era of they've done impressive things. This isn't their first time putting together talent. Um, it's whether or not they, they can, can make that congeal, and they've really failed to do that. UCLA so, has been getting our hopes up in terms of us in the national picture wanting to look at something new and interesting and putting our stock in UCLA early never really has paid off under Jim Mora. So agree and disagree. So, well, first of all, I mean, they, they still, yeah, they part of the reason they were even as low as they were is that they only signed 18 kids. Um, and so their average was like third in the conference. They got Jay or third or fourth. They got Jalen Phillips, mm-hmm. uh, number one prospect in the world, according to the, the composite and whatnot. So, I mean, yeah, recruiting was still, you know, they got some studs there. Um, the thing about Jim Mora, <clears throat> like, uh, yes, at this point he's underachieved. He's gone 12 and 13 in the last two years. So you can't like, but at the start, he won 29 games his first three years at a school that, I mean, he averaged almost 10 wins a year. They hadn't won more than seven to six years before his arrival. Like, he pushed a lot of the right buttons right out of the gates. And I think that he probably wasn't getting enough credit for how well he was doing. Now he, he's, he's blown it all. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, when you blow it in a, in a very, very, very predictable way is when the fans really – well, I mean, we just talked about Georgia Southern. Like, we were kind of – very lightly worrying about the Tyson Summers hire this point last year because, like, oh, they they went against type again. That never works. Why would they do that? Um, you know, when when he had an offensive coordinator to replace because he lost his to Texas A&M, a good one, Mazzoni, um, he went with – you know, it was my impression, at least, that he chose a recruiter over an offensive coordinator. He mm-hmm. was a two-asasopo. Like, he – he he chose a guy who who had a generic view of quote unquote pro style offense, um, who had never been an offensive coordinator, never called plays. Offense fell apart. Now offense fell apart partially because Rosen got hurt, but it wasn't very good when Rosen got hurt. Run game was maybe the worst in the country. Um, they were horrific at running the football, and that's that can't not just be the offensive coordinator's fault, obviously, but like. When 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 you make a hire like like a like Schottenheimer uh, with Rick a couple of years ago, um, when you make that hire and every, the immediate reaction, uh, there's always going to be like scorn and mocking. But like when the 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 more reasonable people go, oh really, uh, and then it fails exactly the way that those people kind of thought it might. That's you get that's like a triple demerit right there. And so like not only did Moore have a bad season, he had a. Uh, what seemed to be like almost a preventable bad season, mm-hmm. and that count, that counts for double. So now he's gone from ten wins. He he won eight in twenty fifteen, which was okay considering they had a freshman quarterback. But now this four and eight season, it was like he he had two straight four and eight seasons, and now he really has to rebound. So let's just um, let's not try and worry about how the narrative continues or what he, what's true or false inside of it. But, but I'm just this is twenty seventeen. They open with A&M. They have to go to Memphis. That's a trap game. 
weird. Um, and then they run through the, the conference slate, of which I'm not, I'm not going to break down. But it's all your usual suspects. Okay? I don't see... I don't see a pivot season here. I don't see a face-saving season here. I don't see an equity-building season here. Okay? So six, seven, eight, nine. I don't see it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's time to start over, hypothetically, right? Dan Grero, you're at UCLA. You are the perpetual... If UCLA could just get it together, right? That's, that's the state in which you live. You have a USC that is now back to functional. So, you know, werewolf, chainsaw, penis status. All right? There's a coach out there, Bill. Yes. Um, how do I say this without doing any reporting? I don't want this to be credited to me. Bill, if there's a coach out there that has experience on the West Coast, mm-hmm. is really successful, yep. knows how to make things happen with Los Angeles athletes, knows how to utilize speed, um, and create a product that becomes not only in lo- you know locally interesting, which is something that UCLA desperately needs, but also nationally relevant and interesting. Um, and that coach right now doesn't even have a job. But he has a nearly bulletproof, maybe minus one scandal that most people, most fans don't even know about, right? But he's a bulletproof resume in college, minus that one thing. Yep. Um, he might be the person that you call for 2018. I have no idea who you might be talking about, although I will point out that this person also... Got weirdly conservative and uncreative with his offense uh, in his last job, and I'm this curious how much of that bleeds over. Uh, so I'm I, very curious. About I would say none because his last job, hypothetically, this person um, was under uh, his last job and the place in which that job occurred in terms of the um, league. Um, I think exter- external factors and some internal problems led to what that particular play calling philosophy became and I think that if that person were to take this job that they would be given the you know whatever the collegiate equivalent to the old NFL GM and coach sort of total control philosophy is okay okay Uh, I do not know if this person would work out um no I don't know I would kill to see it one way or the other because if if hypothetically you go out and find a person like that, not that this has been talked about or rumored or frequently discussed in coaching circles, just hypothetically. So if you found a person like that who could basically just hang tight this year and maybe take this job because it appeals in the fact that you're in Los Angeles – uh, there is money inside that school. It is a California system school, though, so it's a little different than USC or Oregon. Hypothetically, of course, West Coast. Yes, hypothetically um, Oregon, yes. Um, that he were able to step in if no other offers came. Um, yeah, that is true. It would test the UCLA can pull it to if the old if UCLA can pull it together theory it would test that perfect. Really, there's no better way to test it. So we're, we're just to, to make sure we're on the same page. We're talking about Jeff Tedford, right? Of course. Okay. Fresno State's Jeff Tedford. That's right. Um. So, to wrap this podcast in a little bow, uh, because this is a magical transition I'm about to pull off. 
Um, I have a book out, uh, or, or it, it is available for pre-order on Amazon.com. Uh, I will randomly over the next two weeks be doing what I did this morning, which felt really good, uh, randomly announcing that I will give autographed copies to the next 10 people who respond on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, by, by the way, that is not free. <laughs> it requires $25 in a, uh, to PayPal. But I will do that again, and it'll be cool. Uh, it's very heartening to do that and have it go so quickly this morning. But uh, in that book, in the 1965 UCLA chapter, I write about UCLA's first trip to Memphis. See that little symmetry right there? Just talking about a random trip to Memphis. I I, I will now blurb from that because it is great. Uh, Because Tommy Prothro was, uh, I I wish he would have stayed in college longer. Speaking of coaches who went to pro and and didn't quite, uh, whatever. I didn't say that. I, you know, that's true. You didn't. Hypothetical. Before Roseville prep could begin for the 1965 UCLA Bruins, there came an oddly timed early December trip to face number seven Tennessee in Memphis that made Tommy Prothero renounce the South. No, seriously. He said, I am embarrassed that I'm a Southerner, uh, the Memphis-born Prothero said, after a series of controversial calls that swayed a 37-34 shootout loss to Tennessee. Laterals called in complete passes, pass interference penalties, questionable clock stoppages when UT had the ball. Prothrow was very clear he did not feel his Bruins got a fair shake, although on at least one of those stoppages, the ref blew the whistle because a UCLA player had kicked the ball away. Uh, Gary Beeman threw for 212 yards and two scores, but Tennessee backup Dewey Warren unexpectedly outdueled him, completing 19 of 27 for 274. UCLA led this wacky shootout 34-29 with under four minutes left, but with benefit of a couple of calls Prothrow didn't like, UT worked the ball inside the UCLA five in the final minute. On fourth and goal from the one, Warren rolled to his left, found no open receiver, and got walloped as he lunged towards the end zone. If he made it, it was by a few inches, but it was called a touchdown. Tennessee converted the two-point conversion in one 34 Sports Illustrated diplomatically called it a quote-unquote rowdy decision. Um, there are That's highlights amazing. of this. There are highlights of this game on YouTube. They are spectacular. And seriously, if Warren got in, it was like just the nose of the ball. It was a great freaking game. And I was, uh, I made uh, like I was enjoying the highlights so much that I did the Chromecast thing and I flipped it over to the real TV and made my wife watch. Uh, very fun game to um, catch up on on YouTube. So there you go. Fifty best college football teams of all time uh, available March seventh. Plug it! Plug it! Plug it! <laughs> I feel like I'm annoying people on Twitter already, and I, I haven't even really started yet. If there's something bad. else you can do on Twitter, let me know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I'm going to continue to fight through my uh, base tendencies of not wanting to annoy people, and I'm going to uh, try to annoy people with it. All right. Uh, we very much thank you for your time. You can follow Mr. Bill Connolly on Twitter at SBN underscore Bill C. And myself on Twitter and Instagram at 38 Godfrey. Please be sure to subscribe, review, throw accolades, heap praise. Uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, we're working on the Googles. Um, I'm on Overcast. It doesn't matter. Just listen and enjoy it. Um, One thing I would request is if I haven't done that enough on the show... um, if you have a comment, another good place to put it is in the comment section on the page at SB Nation. We're going to try That's and develop true. some interactivity there with the community. It's going to be a place where Bill and I can post up as well and answer some of your questions. I know we make the jokes about the kind of cipher deciphering our emails and all that. If you go into the comment section, each 
episode of the podcast has a podcast named Play Nobody as, as a blog entry, so to speak, on SBNation.com, uh, we can get in there uh, and see you guys a lot quicker and respond. So, um, And all of the mini homework assignments I gave you, uh, you can dump them there. I would appreciate that. Get out of my email. And go visit Statesboro, Georgia. Bill? Yes. You going to do it again next week? Sounds good.